Good morning, everyone. This is NPR News, and I'm Angela Davis. Thank you so much for joining us. Our fall member drive is now in its fourth day. It ends tomorrow. I'm sure you've heard. So, you know, on Monday, we set this ambitious goal. We wanted to hear from 4,000 members in just five days to stay on track with our important budget goals. Well, here we are. The member drive ends tomorrow. And so the question is, can we do it? With your help, we know we can. We've got some momentum, but we're not there yet. Every day, you know you rely on NPR News. So today, we are counting on you, and that means your participation is critical right now. And we've got a goal for this hour. Uh, To stay on track with our goal, we need to hear from 100 listeners by 10 a.m. So make the decision to support the journalism you rely on at NPR News by going online to nprnews.org or call us at 800-227-2811. Time is running out. I'm going to go ahead and say thank you in advance. Well, today, we're going to spend some time talking about entertainment. Yes, what are folks watching on TV or going to see at the theater? I'd love to hear some recommendations. So let's talk about what to watch this fall. Choosing a new show or movie has really never been easier. Streaming services like Netflix, Apple TV, and Disney Plus are stocked with new and old shows, and they're all waiting for your subscription. Not to mention the fall movie season and actual theaters with the popcorn and all that good stuff, the surround sound. That's back to the amount of content can actually feel overwhelming. So help is on the way. In the studio with me right now is my friend, Neil Justin. Neil is a columnist and reporter for the Star Tribune. He covers the entertainment world. You've been there a long, long, long time, Neil, because I've known you a long, long, long time. <laughs> Good morning and welcome back to the That's program. That's your way of saying I'm old. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I did not use uh-huh. those words. But you've seen a lot. You know a lot. I'm happy you're here. And Glad also, here. if you're a theater buff, a live theater buff, stay tuned because a little later uh, in the hour, NPR's Arts and Our arts editor, Max Sparber, he will be here to talk about what is coming up on stages across Minnesota. We'll discuss the local theater scene. We've got you covered. So, Neil, give us a sense of what is happening in the streaming world. I mean, can we still find some some good stuff? You can. I mean, I think the headline is the long national nightmare is over, uh, at least from the writer's standpoint. The writer's strike has ended. Mm -hmm. Hollywood was at a standstill for many months. The actors' uh, strike is is still going on. There's uh, still a few hiccups there, uh, but I would predict within the next few weeks we're going to see that end as well. The reason that should matter to viewers who are looking forward to winter is that a lot of production shut down. Mm-hmm. That would typically happen in the summer and, and early fall, uh, and so there may not be the gluttony of shows we usually see in the fall. But what uh, the studios did in anticipation of a long strike, which indeed it was, was they banked a lot of shows. There were a lot of shows that were supposed to come out earlier this year, and they sort of spaced them out. So they had them completed, but they're they like, had them completed. Let's space it out. The, the example okay. that may mean the most to local viewers is Fargo, um, which is returning, I think, for the fifth season. Uh, as you know, it's based on the Coen Brothers movie that was set in Minnesota. The show is kind of straight away from... Uh, Minnesota and the Dakotas in the last couple seasons. From what I can tell, it's going to return to Minnesota uh, this season with the, with the great cast, including Juno Temple and, and John Hamm mm-hmm. and Jennifer Jason Lee. So that'll come out in late November. That was ready to go many months ago. 
Uh-huh. But they they held it back. So the, the studios did a pretty good job at at least uh, in that sense of spacing things out. So there's still going to be plenty to choose from in November and December. You know, I never saw I, I've never seen any episodes of the series. Uh, of mm. course, I've seen the movie a few times. What did you think about the series? It's is great. It, is this good? It's great. And uh, you know, it's a very difficult thing to do. What uh, the creator of that series did very smartly was not try to copy a Fargo, mm-hmm. but sort of treat it as a as a tribute to it and the spirit of Fargo. Each season is its own separate oddity. And uh, they're beautifully written. And, you know, you're never going to match the movie, which was fantastic. But Mm -hmm. it has forged its own identity. Sort of reminds me of the way MASH, the TV series, differentiated itself from from MASH, the movie. Okay, I'm going to add Fargo, the series, to my list. Absolutely. Start with season one. It's fantastic. Which is nice. Like a lot of these new shows come out. They're like, it's season three, it's season four. But the the flexibility we have, we can go back, you know, a year or two later and catch season one. Yeah, I don't think younger people realize that in the old (laughs) days, if you wanted to see something, you had to run home. Oh, it was gone. Yeah, at 7 p.m. And then the only other option to see it was you waited till the summertime months later. Mm -hmm. So you can go back. I was talking to a young person yesterday about old movies and you know, her idea of an old movie was probably, like, I don't know, something came out three years ago. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I was talking about all the black and white movies, and she never heard of Casablanca. And, and I was like saying, you, you know. You lived during that era. And you can see that stuff now. Mm-hmm. They, they only, and she mm-hmm. said there's just too many choices. And that's, yes. Yes, that's there right. Are. Okay. So let's get into some examples. Uh, I was mm. excited to see, you know, our, our producers talked to you ahead of time, and you gave us some suggestions. Uh, Frasier. I love the series Frasier. It was popular in the 90s uh, about a, a radio talk show host uh, who gave out advice. Uh, Frasier lasted about 11 seasons, and many people may remember it was a spinoff of the wildly successful show Cheers. And now Frasier is back. Tell us more. It's yeah. interesting that you mentioned the, the popularity of that show because Cheers in particular was a huge oh. hit in the Twin Cities. Uh, I think this was before you got here, Angela, but The Tonight mm-hmm. Show with Jay Leno, when he took over, was delayed on CARE 11 for several seasons. Uh, it aired at 11 instead of 10.30 so that they could show Cheers reruns. Wow. That's how big Cheers how, was okay. in, in the Twin Cities. Uh, and if you love, love, love Frasier, you might have a problem with the reboot. I think the more you love Frasier, the more cringy you might be in this one because there's no returning characters except for Frasier. Uh, Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer. He's back. <laughs> and it's the premise is is a little bit loose in that he's somehow back in Boston and and you have to buy uh, a, a lot of coincidences and raised eyebrows. But uh, I am one of the critics and I seem to be in the minority on this that actually think it's pretty good. Um, is that, he still a radio host? What is he doing? No, now uh, this season he is a uh, Harvard professor. Okay. And he wants to uh, sort of put his showbiz pass behind him but he doesn't really i mean he's still got that ego to deal with but it's still that mix of sort of slapstick and slamming doors mixed with kind of a sophisticated wit that fraser did so well Mm -hmm. and that is still there and Um, where where can we watch fraser it's on paramount plus okay all right uh Something else I have been uh, watching, I will share. I had avoided this because mm. of just my personal 
history, the morning show. Mm. I, I worked on a morning show, a local morning TV right. show for uh, like 20 years, two different stations here in the Twin Cities. But uh, morning show, wildly popular show, available mm. to stream on Apple TV, now in its third season. I'm late to the party on this. I just started watching episode one, season one, a couple of weeks ago, but okay. now I'm, I'm binging. I'm going through it because I love uh, the acting uh, skills of Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston um, in an intense drama about people who work on a network early morning uh, news show. Lots of drama, lots of scandal. Um, and um, well, let's play a little clip for morning show. We can hear a little bit of it. We haven't been honest with you. I mean, not like with the news. I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not talking about that. I'm actually talking about ourselves. Get ready to go to tape early. Ready to we tape. don't tell you everything, even a little bit. I mean, this this whole place, this uh, it's really different than what you than what it may appear to you. And there are some really bad things going on here. Some really bad things. Some really bad. There are bad people. And are we doing this? Yeah. You wanna? We should just tell the truth quickly. They're going to cut us off. Yes. We have one minute. Do not roll tape. Stay on the teacup and get everything. Okay. Push in, Gene. Get it all. Lots of drama. Uh, Neil, what do you think about Morning Show and its popularity? Uh, does it work for you? It works as a soap opera. I mean, I think it's a pretty uh, fun, um, uh, soapy, you know, rather silly drama uh, i had expectations when it came out that it was going to have some sort of semblance to the real world and of course you worked on a morning show so uh if oh yeah that, this is off the charts it, it, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot it, of stuff that they get right but it is like I extreme think because, drama yeah i think scandal. early on there were some uh resemblances to real life those have slowly shed away and i'll be curious to see what you think if and when you make it to the third season i'm not i'm not completely bashing it i too Love watching big movie stars like Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. And Steve Carell. Play- and Steve Carell's great mm-hmm. in the first season. And in this current season, John Hamm comes on board, and, and mm-hmm. he's terrific. Um, so it's always fun to watch big stars kind of uh, play uh, in a soap opera. But that's what it is. I don't think it has much more to say. I think there might have been noble intentions early on. Uh, but Treasure, the first season, I think it's the best one. Okay. I think it's worth streaming, but... I, I certainly was hoping for something that was a little bit more uh, reflective of, of what morning television is like because it's a really fascinating world mm-hmm. and it's really where the future of, of uh, both local and national news is going. I don't know if I agree with you on that. Well, that's where the money oh, that's is. that's okay. Well, that's where the money is. Okay. And that's where the viewership is is staying strong. Uh, it's, it's suffering in other areas of, of the lineup, but mornings are going strong. And right now, and this is probably a different subject, but if you were aspiring to be in, in TV news, it's not the six the, the five the five thirty, six thirty news anchor that has the power. It's the morning anchor. The early morning ones. Yeah. yeah. Uh Neil, a uh, new show premieres tomorrow, uh Friday the thirteenth on Apple TV. It's called Lessons in Chemistry. Now this is the title of a book that is on my list. Highly mm. recommended to read. Everyone's like, read this book. Uh tell us about lessons in chemistry. Well, we talked about Frazier's going to be divisive. Uh, I think people are really split on that. I'll be surprised if you find any negative reviews on lessons in chemistry. What's it about? It's about a, a woman in the 50s. She's a scientist. She's played by Brie Larson. And uh, she is uh, a woman in a man's world. Uh, even though she's brilliant, um, she's usually assigned to make coffee at the lab. Uh, she uh, suddenly and unexpectedly finds herself falling in love with a colleague. Um, there are some twists and turns, uh, 
and she ends up hosting a cooking show on uh, the early days of television. Now, all this sounds kind of crazy, and how do they connect? <laughs> they do connect, and it is a show about feminism, uh, but it's also about finding yourself, especially if you're an introverted mm-hmm. person. Uh, and what makes it so interesting, it, there's many things interesting about it, including the great Brie Larson, but there's a lot of unexpected uh, twists and a lot of interesting perspectives. It goes off in directions you might not expect. Let's talk about late night TV. Mm. Uh, you know, late night for me is nine o'clock. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not watching late night TV like as, I, as much as I used to, right? I really kind of mm-hmm. enjoy the comedians. But uh, it returned just last week after a rather long um, hiatus due to the writer's strike in Hollywood. Uh, what did the return of late night TV look like? I mean, what are you seeing? It looked the same. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the comforts of late night TV. It's fairly predictable. That's one of the reasons I like it. It's like a a warm glass of milk before you go to bed. Mm -hmm. Um, There have been hosts over the years that have shaken it up. Uh, I'm thinking of Late Night with David Letterman, which was a very influential show Mm -hmm. when I was growing up. But for the most part, you want sort of the same pattern and uh, a certain reliability. And that's what I enjoy about Late Night TV with a little bit of surprise. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what we've seen the first couple weeks back. Um, they are having uh, some difficulty, I think, with with the kind of broad range of guests because of the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, but they seem to be working their way around it, and uh, uh, we'll have the, the actors, full playback. The actors are still on strike. The actors are still on strike. Mm-hmm. They can come on shows if they're talking about podcasts or books uh, and some independent movies, but they can't come on and, and plug like their latest movie that they're making. So, That's for example, your next guests. guest is going to be talking about Killers of, of the Moon, or whatever that long title is. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I don't think Leonardo DiCaprio can come out and, and talk about and that movie mm. specifically, at least not yet. Mm, that's interesting. Um, and so The Daily Show has been in the news. Mm. I'm a huge Trevor Noah fan, and we know that Trevor Noah has left the show. Um, they're still uh, l- without a permanent host. They've that's not right. announced the replacement, but what's been making um, news is sort of the, um, you know, the, who, the, who the replacements are. What have you seen in terms of the people who've been filling in? It's uh, on Comedy Central, I should say, by the way. Yeah, the and uh, they have uh, delayed again uh, announcing who the host is going to be. I'm not sure they know who it's going to be. I think Hassan Minaj, who would have been an interesting choice, uh, was a front runner, got himself into some hot trouble because of uh, what he was basing his uh, material on, wasn't entirely true. So I think they oh, may no. have gone back to the drawing board. And then Roy Wood Jr. Um, revealed on uh, NPR that he is not returning as a correspondent. He has not taken himself out of the running for host. And many people think uh, he would be a, a good host, in- including me. Yeah, uh, so he's a, uh, a comedian on the show who's on He's been on for eight years. Right. And, and uh, interesting note for comedy fans and Daily Show fans, Roy Wood uh, Jr. is here in town, Minneapolis, November 11th, the same weekend Trevor Noah is here. What? So that's a, that's that's a tough a, choice. I have Trevor Noah tickets, by the way. Okay. I think Trevor Noah is here for three nights or two nights. They kept adding nights yeah, and it, shows. He's, that, he's that doing is like one of the four hottest, shows. Yeah, that's yeah. one of the hottest shows in comedy. Those tickets went on sale over a year ago, which yep. is I bought mine a year ago. Heard of. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, you know, The Daily Show doesn't matter as much as it used to. Comedy Central is not in the original programming business the way it used to be. I mean, I remember when Comedy Central was a real player in the comedy world. When, if you were a comedian, you had to get on Comedy 
central, sort of the way you used to have to be on Johnny Carson. Right. That's not true anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, uh, if you could name more than three shows on Comedy Central and reruns of The Office does not count, mm -hmm. um, then you're an exception. They've still got South Park. And The Daily Show is still interesting, and the guest hosting was interesting. Um, I really hope that they pick a woman. Um, yeah, and we haven't seen uh, uh, a now, lot of, of women hosting. No, I mean, Samantha B uh, uh, was a contender before Trevor Noah got the job. She went off to TBS mm -hmm. and did a pretty good show. Uh, Chelsea Handler has campaigned for that slot. I'm not sure she's the right voice. I'd love to see them find somebody young and new like uh, Taylor Tomlinson, uh, who I think is terrific. Um, I think she's not young, but Sarah Silverman, I think, would be great. I think Nikki Glaser is a great comic. There's a lot of uh, really interesting female comics out there, and uh, I, I really think it's time. Saturday Night Live is back mm -hmm. this weekend. Who is hosting? Pete Davidson is hosting. I he thought was, he left the show. He did. He's a host. Um, he's coming so as, he's a, not, as a host. He's coming back. Okay. He was supposed to host in May, and then the strike hit. And so he's come back, and then Bad Bunny is is the host next week. It's interesting. Usually, the start of a season is an introduction of a lot of new cast members. There's only one new cast member this year. Uh, her name is Chloe Trout, um, and so we'll see what she adds to the mix. And again, you know, Saturday Night Live is not the influential show it used to be, like but to I be. sort of mm -hmm. miss it. And mm -hmm. there's always one or two moments in that show that make it worth. I think it's still funny. Out. Yeah. It can be. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Neil. You've given us uh, lots of things to think about, options. I, I appreciate it. Uh, Neil Justin, a columnist and a reporter for the Star Tribune. He covers the entertainment world. And we're going to let you get back to your newsroom on the other side of the river in Minneapolis. Good to see you. Thanks, Angela. All right. Now, let's go to the movies now. Like, really, let's go to the movies. NPR's Max Sparber is here in the studio with me now. Max is the arts editor for the uh, for NPR News and one of the new co-hosts of NPR's Cube Critics. Welcome to the program, Max. Thank you very much. I usually see you sitting there at your desk, and now you're in here in the hot seat with <laughs> yep. me this morning. <laughs> so Cube Critics, uh, back uh, from a little break, remind our listeners about uh, this weekly segment that we do and when they can hear it and, and what is what is Cube Critics for people who are not familiar? Well, Cube Critics uh, has been around for quite a while um, and sort of traded hosts every so often. Mm -hmm. um, it's usually two people talking about movies. And in the last few years, it expanded to talking about what's going on in streaming as well, because a lot of movies are now released directly to streaming rather mm -hmm. than theaters. Um, we the arts team here took it over a couple of weeks ago, and we're sort of rotating who is on it. Um, so right now it's you and uh, Jacob Alloy. Yep. And then uh, Alex Chipotle. Yep. Yeah. And guests occasionally, um, mm -hmm. and people have done it in the past. So we we try and keep keep various voices coming through. And so you give us ideas. Like you watch movies, and like this is what we think, and the way people do in the real world. Exactly. Right. Yeah. The whole point is that it's as though two people who sit mm -hmm. next to each other in a cube are talking about movies they just saw. And when can people listen to it and or when do we find it? That is on Fridays on All Things Considered. Okay. And then we do a shorter version that usually airs on Sunday. Which we can then get from our website. 
Yes, yes, it's also on the website, and it is a podcast, so you can just download it if you like. NPR's Cube Critics. Uh, We talk with Neil about shows that people can stream from home, but this past summer, we saw people going back into the movie theaters, flocking to movie theaters, thanks to the Barbie movie and the Oppenheimer movie, together dubbed Barbie Heimer. (laughs) (laughs) Was that encouraging for movie theaters? Was that a good sign? It was if you were the Barbie movie or the Oppenheimer movie. They did extremely well, Um, and they gave the summer a huge boost in terms of profits for the studios. Uh, Summer films made more than $4 billion, but half of that money was those two movies, Mm -hmm. which means they did very well, and most other movies were a little little underperforming or significantly underperforming. Like uh, there was a DC movie, a comic movie called The Flash that barely made back its its costs and uh, even films like the Indiana Jones film, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, that lost Disney about $100 million. So two films did really well and then everything else sort of struggled. We've been hearing uh, about a movie called Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, Interesting title, Killers of the Flower Moon. What can you tell us about this movie? Is that something we should look forward to? Absolutely. It's uh, the newest Martin Scorsese film, which is always a big deal. Um, it's a big movie. I think it's about three and a half hours long. Um, it was underwritten by Apple TV, if I remember correctly, and they gave him a ton of mo- money to do it. Um, so it is a really epic film. Um, it's based on a true story. Uh, in the 1920s, oil was found um, on a on tribal land from the Osage Indians. And um, what resulted was a series of killings of uh, members of the tribe as uh, the local white people started moving in on it. So it's it's a, a film that deals with some very ther- serious topics like racism and genocide, um, colonialism. Uh, Scorsese has partnered with regular cast members, uh, Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio, who I don't think have ever been together in a Scorsese film together, even though they're in Scorsese movies all the time. Um, but really the breakout role I'm hearing is an actress named Lily Gladstone, who was a native actress. Um, something happened with the film. It's based on a book, and the original book is really sort of a mystery. But when they started making it, they realized that the mystery wasn't so important, um, that the story of the native people was important. So they worked very closely with the Osage tribe um, mm-hmm. to try and foreground that part of the story. I'm going to pause you because uh, we have a a preview clip, uh, a a short part of this movie that we can play. This is from Killers of the Flower Moon. Listen. The Osage, their time is over. We got to take back control of our home. I was sent down from Washington, D.C. to see about these murders. We have so many deaths, we've lost count. It's just bad luck. Seems more like an epidemic than bad luck to me. Osage is dying by the enemy. Do not let them die alone. Evil surrounds my heart. Again, a clip from Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, it can it gives you a sense of the drama there, right? Yeah, it's a pretty heavy film. Um, it's certainly going to be very violent, which uh, Scorsese is sort of famous for anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so for people for who are sensitive to that, I'd, I'd urge some caution. But it is also going to be, uh, I think, quite a movie. It's going to be a strong contender for the Oscars. And that opens on October mm. 20th. 
And we don't want to neglect the, the local theaters in the Twin Cities uh, because uh, they have indeed raised their curtains. Uh, they're ready to put on shows, doing a great job. Uh, Max, I know you have a long list of theater productions you want to talk about. We'll get to as many as we can. But let's start with something called Twelfth Night at 10,000 Thing. What is 10,000 Thing, first of all? And tell us about Twelfth Night. 10,000 Things is a really interesting theater company. It's one I really like. Um, they perform um, a lot of their shows um, in front of uh, homeless communities. They go to prisons. They go to retirement homes. They go to places that are typically underserved by theaters. And they often pick a very complicated place to do for these audiences, which they do in a very stripped-down way because they're, they have to keep very mm-hmm. mobile. Um, tenth, uh, the play they're currently doing, Twelfth Night, is a, a romantic comedy, which, of course, everybody likes. And it's by a, a little playwright named William Shakespeare, who mm-hmm. seems to have some popularity. <laughs> um, and uh, I thought that this was going to be a very interesting choice for them because Shakespeare is notoriously sort of hard to understand um, if you're brand new to it. Uh, so I spoke to the director, uh, Marcella Lorca, um, and she actually said that Shakespeare is perfect for the types of plays they do because – He's so based in language. Um, when Shakespeare was originally performed, they often also had very stripped down scenery. So people will just walk out on stage and say, here we are in a forest. And the audience is then expected to imagine, imagine the forest. Yeah. Um, and so that works really well for their format. Um, that start, They also do public performances. And those start tomorrow at Hennepin Avenue United Methodist Church in Minneapolis. So they're doing some public performances in venues that, that uh, more people can attend. Exactly. Right? Okay. And uh, here's another one. I'm not, can I even say this? Uh, this is being performed <laughs> by uh, Open Eye Figure Theater in Minneapolis. Uh, this is a, another new one for me. And the name of the, the show is, is Life Sucks. Life Sucks. Although it is a show that's... Be- like like with 10,000 Things, it's based on an earlier show, a classic piece of theater by Anton Chekhov that's called Uncle Vanya. Uh, Chekhov was a Russian playwright. Um, his plays are typically considered to be really morose and kind of depressing, although he thought he was writing light comedies. Um, and what's happened here is that a playwright named Aaron Posner has adapted Uncle Vanya, which is a story about sort of friends getting together and struggling with life. Uh, but he's adapted in a way that is pretty hopeful. The original script is not necessarily a very hopeful one and also extremely funny. Um, this is interesting because it's a first collaboration between Open Eye Theater, which um, historically is a puppet theater, and Girl Friday Productions, which is a theater company that produces really classic American theaters that tend to go overlooked. So this is this collaboration is new for them, and it's also a new direction for both companies. Um, uh, so that I think it's going to be a really fun show, despite being based on Uncle Vanya. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the first show that Girl Friday has done in three years, and that's a theme that's coming up a lot. Uh, 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 some of the theaters are now coming out of uh, lockdown and out of the pandemic and sort of finding their, their feet again and finding new directions. So this is an example of that. Uh, next on the list, uh, a show called For the People? Yep, at the Guthrie. And that one is really interesting. It's an original uh Commission from the Guthrie. Uh, it's written by uh, two playwrights, Ty Defoe and Larissa Fasthorse, who are both indigenous. The story is about an indigenous subject and set in Minneapolis. Uh, it's set on Franklin Avenue, which is now called the American Indian Cultural Corridor. And it is a comedy about a woman who's trying to open a wellness center on Franklin. Um, the Guthrie doesn't have a long history of doing 
plays that are set in Minneapolis, despite being from Minneapolis. And they've done a few plays in the past few years about indigenous subject matter, but this is a real new commitment on their part. Um, And so I'm very excited to see this one. People can go watch uh, a show called Fetal at Frank Theater in Minneapolis. Okay, this is another theater I'm not familiar with. Frank Theater is a... It's about 30 years old, if I remember correctly. It's a feminist theater start, started by Wendy Knox. And this is another theater that's hasn't done anything in about three years, um, again, because of the pandemic. Most of these things did stuff online. But in terms of doing live performances, uh, they're coming back as well. Uh, it's a play by Trista Baldwin, who was a Minneapolis playwright for a number of years. I think she now lives in Seattle. And um, she wrote a play about reproductive rights that she wrote shortly after uh, Roe v. Wade was was uh, reversed. And so this is a play that's set in a Texas clinic on the day that Roe v. Wade is overturned, and the staff and the people who are there sort of struggling with the fallout from that. Uh, I spoke to Wendy Knox, uh, who also directed this show. They're doing it in their studio space in Minneapolis, which they historically use for rehearsals, although they have done at least one show there before. It's a small space, very intimate space. And she really said, you know, coming into doing theater again after about three years, she's sort of retraining herself how to do it and rethinking about what kind of stuff they're going to present. And so once again, this is an example of that. I'm going to pause you because uh, you you helped us. We have some audio uh, from the Frank Theater uh, director, Wendy Knox, talking about why she picked the play Fetal. So let's take a listen to that. We decided this thing when I was in college or high school, whatever. And it's like, you know, why do we keep revisiting this thing? Why is it a question what a woman could do with her own body? I just, it just incenses me. And so when that decision came, I was just like, Ugh. and then I had heard that Tris had written a play called Fetal. I'm like, would you send that to me right now? <laughs> You hear the passion in her yeah. voice. So you uh, say this is the first show they've had in three years. Mm-hmm. And you can see it's a theater that's really driven by passion. So their plays are often really exciting and interesting to watch. So all of these uh, shows you sort of talked about, they're a good example of what um, sort of the power of, of the arts, right? It helps us understand the experiences of other people and, and often just makes us think about things in a, in, a, in a new way. Yeah, it's my favorite thing about going to a play. Right, and we have so many options. I, I'm, I'm open about saying, like, I don't, I, I don't know where this is. I, I haven't heard. We have so many theaters besides, you know, everyone knows the Guthrie and the Ordway, but there are so many other theaters, right, that are doing some fantastic work. Absolutely, and it's great to see them starting to do work again after so long. Mm-hmm. Um, All right, let's talk about the Afro-Atlantic Play Festival in Minneapolis. Um, what is this? When does it start? How can we experience it? So this is at the Illusion Theater, and plays mm-hmm. are Friday and Saturday. Uh, these are not full productions of plays. These are readings, which means that the actors will be on stage, with usually with the script in front of them. Sometimes there's a little bit of movement, but it's really an opportunity to hear a play uh, that's being considered for production or a play that's still being workshopped. These are uh, three plays that are about uh, the African-American diaspora and the African diaspora in general. Uh, it's curated <clears throat> by a theater maker named Carlisle Brown and another named Chuck Mike. Uh, there are readings of three plays, and there's going to be a roundtable discussion on Sunday called What is the As- African Diaspora? A conversation about Afro-Atlantic culture. And you can find out information about that on the Illusion 
theater website. Uh, it's at the Illusion Theater. And then I want to go back. You know, we were talking about movies earlier. There, there's a, a film festival starting tonight. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, that's a Cine Latino uh, film festival. That is at mostly at the main theater um, in the St. Anthony area. It used to be St. Anthony, Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, that's now run by the Minneapolis-St. Paul uh, Film Society. And this, they've been doing this for quite a while. This is the 11th annual uh, Cine Latino Festival. Uh, the films are by filmmakers of Latino heritage or from Latin American countries, Spanish-speaking countries. Um, there's, uh, it's only until Sunday, if I remember correctly, or through October 15th. And uh, the, the thing that I would really recommend for this are two films from a, an acclaimed Spanish director, Pedro Almodovar. Uh, the first one is – they're short films. Uh, first is called Strange Way of Life. It's a cowboy movie, if you can believe it. Um, the cowboys are played by Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal, and it's about their relationship. And the second short film is called The Human Voice. It's about a woman and a dog who are waiting together, and I don't know anything more about it except <laughs> that it stars Tilda Swinton, who is always a pleasure to see on screen. So those will probably be very fun and also – considering Almodovar's history, uh, probably a little strange. I love that uh, now at NPR News, we have a a whole arts and entertainment um, uh, team. And so uh, the two reporters, so Max, you're the the editor, uh, reporters uh, Alex Sapoli and Jacob Alloy. Do they have specialties within their beats? Like what does does Alex uh, tend to cover? Alex tends to cover visual arts more often, although we don't don't specify any beat. They just have Mm -hmm. preferences. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, Alex does a lot of visual arts. Jacob does a lot of performing arts. Uh, we all do film. Um, I I do some writing and some coverage now and then, and I've got very broad taste in the arts. So if it looks interesting to me, I'll I'll pursue it. Well, I want our listeners to know if you're thinking, I, okay, there's a lot to remember here uh, and to take note of. You're you're right. So uh, our producers have uh, put together a full list of shows and movies and theater ideas on my show page on the website. So when you go to nprnews.org, uh, click sections at the top of the homepage and then select NPR News with Angela Davis, and you'll hear about all of the TV series and shows and and and. Uh, plays uh, that we've talked about any musicals that are coming up that you think people might be interested in a lot of a lot of us like the the musicals and the holiday shows also something to keep in mind gosh i mean there definitely will be a ton of holiday Mm -hmm. shows coming up i got to sit down and and go through the (laughs) list because that's that's a big money maker for theaters obviously the Mm -hmm. the guthrie does a christmas carol every year we have options we just want to remind folks you have (laughs) options well thank you max i enjoyed speaking with you max barber the arts editor here uh, at npr news i'll let you get back to work as well as a co-host of npr's cube critics you can return to your desk as well thank you Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.